Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you to join us for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of discovery. I am still somehow your host, Ed Pocock, and today we are joined by fellow Archon, Zach Armstrong. Zach, thanks for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. I feel honored to be here. We have now stepped into the uncharted lands of the Crucible after the worlds have collided, and isn't it glorious? 276 new cards and an unfathomable amount of decks to discover. So we are going to dive straight into that. But before we do, we do like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So let's kick off. Zach, you are one of Keyforge's longest fans, I believe. One one could say that I believe that's a that is a accurate qualification. Actually, I had not, not had not thought of it that way. I got into the game essentially at launch. I've been a fan of Fantasy Flight's games for a while. They've got a number of board games and tabletop role playing games I play, and I played the other Fantasy Flight games, Richard Garfield card game, Android Netrunner, first released in the nineties. Then Fantasy Flight Games picked up the license and produced it as a living card game uh, for a number of years until the license was not renewed, unfortunately. And I was, after that game, looking for a card game to fill that hobby void, to uh, burn my brain a little bit, to be able to take a deck to competitions. And after I read the Keyforge announcement on the Fantasy Flight, C- Fantasy Flight Games website for about the eighth time, trying to wrap my mind around what the heck they were trying to tell me, uh, I was hooked. I thought it was a great idea to take out deck building, force people to actually discover the decks and maybe work with suboptimal cards in an otherwise great deck or make those suboptimal cards optimal because of the particular mix they were in. Yeah. So uh, as soon as I figured out that was the hook, I was uh, I was a fan. I was a fan from day one. Awesome. And I believe you were sent some decks before official release. That's that's correct. That's correct. I am on Twitter. Is, is this a secret? Should we not be should we not be telling anyone this? <laughs> oh um, no, this is not a secret. I believe I believe I was sent the decks to, uh, as a part of uh, good PR. So I believe talking about it is actually uh, uh, a low key part of the expectation there. So I brilliant. am a frequent on. I'm a frequent tweeter. I am on Twitter a lot, and I decided to engage with all the positivity around Keyforge after launch. Of course, it's the internet, so there will be some negativity, but I tried to engage with all of the people talking about it, talk about how excited we were, and the Fantasy Flight Games social team through Asmodee decided they would like to thank me for all of those very early efforts with two decks. They managed to get in touch with my then-fiancé, now-wife Megan, sent her the decks, and she brought them up to me. And uh, there is a video that does live on the internet now of me. Uh, it was unknown to me that I was receiving these decks, and I opened a box before, before I went on a hike uh, with Megan. I open a box, and uh, it's difficult to freak me out or to knock me <laughs> out of my lane, have me, uh, you know, have me screech. That's very, that's very rare, very difficult. But this certainly caused it, and I believe, I believe Ed, I sent you that video, and uh, hopefully it was relatively entertaining. You did, you <laughs> did, and it, it, 
it is it is everything it's cracked up to be. What a lovely way of doing it for them as well, that they got in touch with your fiancé rather than you and sent, sent her the deck. I guess it adds to the PR, the unboxing video and the excitement that it causes, because I think that is the same reaction that many people have to opening their first decks from a new set of Keyforge. Oh, yes, certainly. Certainly. Now, it was a a great team effort, and we got to play those decks against each other for a few months before the official release. It was really something special. And also, Zach, you were one of the first fans of this podcast as well, or one of the first people to to message in and to say, keep making this content. I can't really tell you how much that means, particularly when you've just made a couple of episodes and your very early doors and you've put them out into the wide world to hear those positive sounds it makes such a big difference so so thanks for thanks for being part of the podcast family oh of course you're so welcome that is a part uh, a part of my philosophy to keep trying to encourage people reach out with positive communications i saw you had just gotten a twitter account for the podcast i tweeted out a link i listened to it and it was just so lovely and what a great format so i i was it was a um unrelenting need to reach out and compliment to you at that point <laughs> much appreciated and and on the reaching out to people i hear you're doing a lot in your local area to grow the community as well that's right that's right i'm in athens georgia throwing that out there for anyone who happens to be in the area who hasn't found me yet uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I actually, the one of the early episodes you had a friend on from your area over there Steve, in the UK. Steve yes, Broder. Steve. And, and that's episode one, actually, for, for anyone thinking about going back there, where we talk about some of the things that people can do to really cultivate a growing player base in their local area. Mm-hmm. And it was very helpful. I've cultivated local, local player bases for a few different games before. But just hearing that, you're always, you can always learn new things. And so I learned a few new things from him. Is he your, uh, is he your friend who plays cards upside down? Was he that He certainly him? is. He certainly Excellent. is. In fact, it's, it's infectious, the playing cards upside down it thing. Is. I did an unboxing today of Worlds Collide with three other friends. We were all playing upside down. And it doesn't it make life so much easier? It really does. I have been doing it with a lot of the new players because I, as an experienced player, know the cards by heart. Or if I make a mistake because I can't read them, I would rather them have that little advantage when they're playing against me. And um, yeah, I'm in the stage now where I am spending a lot of one-on-one time with many different players who are into the game. And in the new year is when I'm going to make an effort to try to start that consistent weekly scene so we can have at least one of those people there on a weekly basis who knows uh, who knows the game, who can welcome people. I'll try to be there as often as I can, but of course, life happens. So having a small team of Keyforge evangelists is my goal, and I'm very nearly there. I'm very nearly there. We're also reaching out to working with the artist who did the Bristol Plague Rats logo named Ian. Oh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Uh, once I have a few things down, I'll be, we've already decided on rates and everything, and uh, they seem uh, the consummate artistic professional. I'm very excited to work with them to get a fun little logo for the Athens Forge Masters. And these are all little things that help to really build things and entrench that excitement in the local area. I think one of the things we very much talked about in that first episode was actually having a team of people that it's not all hinging on that one person, that if you're not there, there's other people around and it keeps that excitement going. The The community re- reaches a point where it's large enough to, to support itself. Yes, yes, that's what we're going for. We don't have a large town, but we have a very large university, which does draw people of the general you know wide range of ages and inclinations who would all enjoy key forge so i'm hoping that scene can really get going next year i wish you a lot of luck with it i wish you a lot of luck and you've been attending a few vault tours i believe as well yes i have been very fortunate to be able to travel to a handful vault tour atlanta was just outside my door so that was an easy one to get to drove up recently to vault tour richmond with a number of the archons of atlanta they are a 
team out of Atlanta who all support each other in these things, and I get to be kind of an auxiliary friend to them and all of those very strong, lovely players who are lovely people to spend time with. And I had the privilege of attending the United States Grand Championships as well, which I think were the second Grand Championships for Keyforge, the first being over in Germany, if I recall correctly. I believe so. We are still awaiting ours in, in the UK. We are having them, I believe it's in March. Okay. So we're very much looking forward to that. It's probably going to be a couple of hundred of us there, I should imagine. Excellent. Um, it's going to be a great fun event. It was. It was very much worth going. There were a number of growing pains, uh, which I'm not sure are helpful to get into. I left my feedback in the right places. But overall, it was a very good experience. The community really does make this game. Spent time with a few other content creators, the gentleman from the both gentlemen from Tabletop Royale and then Blake from Help from Future Self. Uh, quite a few, and then uh, many people without their own podcast, but who are great members of the community as well. Uh, Grant from Team SAS, all sorts of lovely people who really made the time enjoyable. Um, I had several friends who made day two, so I really enjoyed cheering them all on. I made a small hype video for my practice partner, Asher, who made day two, and it was really just a, a lovely time all around. Very much worth the trip. That sounds amazing and very much consistent with my experiences of events in Europe as well. It is such a supportive, friendly and welcoming player base and not just at the casual scene and the local scene, but actually at the very at the very most competitive events as well. Uh, you turn up at a vault tour and if there's a newer player there, everyone is welcoming to them and keen to support them in any way they can in sharing the love of this amazing game with them. Yes, yes, that's completely consistent with what I've seen in Atlanta, Richmond, and in Arlington at the Grand Championships. It's really lovely to see, especially as we get further and further into the game. And I keep hearing people across Twitter and podcasts and different discussion spaces really talking about actively keeping that up. You know, us who are Absolutely. very into the game currently welcoming all sorts of new people and make sure we're encouraging that culture of, of kindness, of having fun, um, not to the exclusion of being able to be competitive and, you know, uh, you know, intense if you want to be intense about trying to take down a big tournament. I think there's 100% room for that alongside all the, the kindness. Um, if you have a chance to watch the stream of the Richmond Vault Tour, Alex Carroll and um, Nathan from uh, Tabletop Royale, it was almost looked like a friendly match. You could tell they were sweating at times, certainly, but just the way they were talking to each other, uh, you almost couldn't tell it was a high-level match just because they were so at ease with each other, even though they were both playing to the best of their ability and sweating a touch here and there and, you know, trying to make the right calls under pressure. It was, it was really lovely to watch. Really positive when you can lose a game and still be really delighted for your opponent that they've won it and that they're moving on to the next stage and you feel that you've had a good game. That, for me, is the sign of a, a, good, a good tournament scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I will follow up on that. Uh, just a short thank you to Yeti Games, who's been running uh, the events at least over here in the States, and they have been a large part of helping those events be helpful, easy to play, and fun to play, and all that sort of thing. That that team is, has really been knocking it out of the park, creating a great play experience for Keyforge players. So you're one of the first fans of the game, but if you had to pick a house... Which house do you think suits you the most? Which house do you feel most at home with? Do you identify most with? Mm, that is a great question. I would say I identify most with Untamed, but I will go a little bit further and say not because of the Amber Burst, but because of the Recursion. So untamed because of their recursion, pulling from the discard pile, their reliance on the creatures. That feels very organic when you can pull creatures from your discard pile, when you can shuffle them back in, when you have tricks like mimicry. It feels very... I just, I just enjoy those sorts of mechanics. And uh, I would have to say, yeah, I identify with those. I have a lot of fun with those sorts of mechanics. Okay, awesome. Yeah, there's decks in, particularly in Age of Ascension, I found, where you've got a good untamed lineup. And 
you find yourself playing more out of your discard pile, trying to discard the things that you want to be bringing back multiple times rather than playing from your deck. Yes, yes, that's very true. I have a, several decks with many regrowths, which is lovely to s just keep putting out the creatures that your opponent has to deal with. Uh, creatures like Flaxia are very fun because you want to put Flaxia on the board and then get them off the board and get them again. And so it's advantageous to get her off of the board by fighting or shuffling her back into your deck and then playing her again. And I just love that idea of the creatures and your creature line coming on and off the board being how your deck is efficient and powerful. Such a super powerful first turn play, Flaxia. Mm. Oh, yes. A beautiful first turn play. If you had to pick one moment in Keyforge that is the most memorable experience that you've had playing this game or associated this game, maybe it's something to do with the community, what would that be? I would say that moment for me would be some friendly matches with my practice partner, Asher, after the Atlanta Vault Tour. Neither of us had made day two and he had traveled down from Virginia to see me, so we were at a house we were staying at in Athens here, doing some friendly matches after the Vault Tour, and I had brought out an old deck, one of my first ones that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. I had brought out that old deck. I had underestimated it ever since I got it, and as we began to play it, I kept winning with the deck. We played about three games in a row, and the deck continued to uh, stomp Asher thoroughly, and both of us were scratching our heads saying, but this deck wasn't that great when we were playing it a number of months ago, and we both realized simultaneously we hadn't been good enough to pilot the deck well, and all of a sudden our skills had caught up to the deck, and we played an adaptive match with it, where it quickly stomped the other decks it was, you know, the other deck it was playing with, and we bid chains, and I believe I overbid chains to play uh, this deck, the Bishop of Giant Way Kingdom. And that moment was so special for us because we had had a lot of fun at the Voltor, and we realized how deep these decks are in Keyforge. Some are a little bit more straightforward to play, which is lovely, but some decks require a lot of practice. Or some decks, even if they're straightforward to play, you're not going to perform as well as the deck can perform until you've gotten better at the game and you've practiced with that one particular deck over and over again. And having that realization together, we realize just how deep the game of Keyforge is and how rewarding it is. Even if you just have a few decks, just maybe, you know, two, three, four, five decks, you can just play those decks over and over again and get great with them. And there are formats that reward that. If you get a deck that's maybe not the most powerful deck, but it's a bit tricky to play, you can take it to an adaptive match where the other person, they haven't played it nearly as much as you have. So you can take that match yeah. with a deck that's middling if you just know it better. It's, it's such a beautiful system of rewarding deck knowledge. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think we're going to get into this in a bit, talking about Worlds Collide, maybe rewarding getting reps in with decks and player skill even more than the two sets beforehand. But that must have been an incredible moment to realise, ah, I'm looking at this differently now. I'm a different player now. Um, and for, for everyone listening, there are bound to be decks in each of your collections that if you if you dust them off, you might find something surprising, something a little bit different that you hadn't thought about them previously. Yes, I would, I would say that. Most certainly. Look through your decks, give them all spins, even if you haven't played them in a long time. Give them a spin again, check them out again. There's always something more they can offer. Keyforge decks need love. Absolutely. <laughs> so one more question for you, Zach, before we dive into our focus topic. And I am excited to dive in to talk about Worlds Collide, preferably without end. If you had to pick one creature of the Crucible, this could be anything in the game of Keyforge to go on a road trip with to a vault tour, which creature would it be and why? I'm going to go Star Alliance on this one, one of the newer creatures. I would go with Calm Officer Kirby. Okay. Calm Officer okay. Kirby from the Star Alliance. Yes. Uh, he's the three power creature, play, fight, reap. 
You may play a non-Star Alliance artifact, upgrade, or action card this turn. He feels very versatile to me. His art is very fun. I believe he is on some sort of speeder bike. It looks like he yep. is sliding to looks a stop. Uh, his flavor text is very positive. I believe it's something along the lines of Fleet Command must be out there somewhere. He seems very positive, very versatile, the kind of reliable and enjoyable friend you could take with you on a long on a long road trip to a vault tour. So definitely uh, communications officer Kirby of the Star Alliance there. Awesome. Awesome. I was playing a deck with three of him in this afternoon and I must say I had an absolute blast with it. He is such a versatile card. I'm sure he's got ways and means of finding anyone and everyone you might need to see on the road and on the way there and a speedy way of getting there, as you said, with the bike. Yes, he seems like a lot of fun. And a deck with three of him, that sounds like a deck I wouldn't want to play against. That's a pretty fast deck right there. It was, as I say, it was a casual unboxing. I just happened to open the deck and uh, not much fared too well against it. (laughs) (laughs) To be expected. So let's dive in. Worlds Collide. I mean, wow, Keyforge, where do we start here? They blew it out the park with this one, didn't they? They they really did. They really, really did. It feels to me like the first set they were kind of scoping it out. It was all about discovering this new game, discovering what can they do with this? What does this look like? What is the what is the game itself? And what are the many basic things that they can do with it? And then the second set felt like it was kind of holding it steady. They probably finished most of the design for the second set before the first was even out. It was quite conservative in a way, making sure what they'd done in the first set could be refined, really making those refinements and tailoring it a little bit more, including actually bringing down that variance between deck power levels, which made it much more fun for a sealed environment. But the third set, it feels like they've just gone, okay, Hold it steady, hold it steady, and go. It's absolutely the Wild West, and I am having an amazing time with it every time I play. How are you finding it, Zach? I would have to echo really all of your compliments and excitement and feelings there. I agree, Call of the Archon certainly felt like they made all of these houses do fairly standard things. A lot of them were very powerful. Age of Ascension pulled that back a little bit. I know they were uh, finished design on Age of Ascension just a little bit after they finished Call of the Archon, so they hadn't released it to the wild yet. But Worlds Collide, it's really an appropriate set title because there are so many new interactions, so many new ways that decks are powerful that we haven't seen in the last two sets that feels even more balanced than Call of the Archons. Some of the decks where you can Amber Burst and Untamed, Steel and Shadows in Call of the Archons are very straightforward to play and there's nothing wrong with that. These decks feel like they can match that power level, but it's not on autopilot. They can match that power level if you know how to use the abilities well. And really, it's not if if you know, but if you put in the time to learn, if you put in the time to play them and win and figure it out or, you know, lose and learn even more by by losing against these cards or winning with them. Um, Yes, it really is the Wild West of discovering what will be good. And I can't say we've seen one particular archetype that will be completely dominant. I know the House Saurian, when they get particular combinations, can be very powerful. But aside from that, I haven't seen any one card or two-card combination that is dominating the meta. It's all been very varied. And of course, now we are going back through our Call of the Archons decks, I know I am, and looking for decks that are strong on their own and against all these new mechanics, and especially the Saurians and the Star Alliance, trying to look for old Call of the Archons decks that'll do that job. There are really decks that have a, a new lease of life, I think, now in what is potentially shaping up to be a very different meta. But I completely agree. I'd like to echo your sentiment there that synergy as a role in Worlds Collide seems much more important, much more heightened. And I think that 
really expands our opportunities for discovery even more as cards work very differently depending on which deck they're in. So for the most enfranchised players that are likely to buy the most decks, you're going to be discovering stuff for six months, no matter how many decks you buy, because you're going to be constantly seeing different combos, different cards shine in different ways. And the power of decks seems to be really much more driven by those synergies than by the power of the individual cards alone. It seems very welcome as a theme in Keyforge. And uh, we've also seen the introduction of, of new mechanics as well. So we've got we've got Ward and Exult. And for me, these feel like a very natural fit for Keyforge. They feel like they've slipped into Keyforge very easily, very simply, very much Ward protecting some creatures and really giving creatures play effects or uh, giving creatures reap and fight effects a chance to shine that might not have otherwise had a chance to shine, which adds more colour to the game. Uh, for Exult, introducing such a fun risk reward mechanism i feel that both of these could become evergreen how do you feel about them zach i think all of the new mechanics are very solid ward changes the flow of the game in a very interesting way Previously, in Call of the Archons and a bit in Age of Ascension, you would see board clears, things usually actions that destroyed most creatures or all creatures, and then you would have to restart your creature board from that point. What Ward does in Worlds Collide is creatures can survive the board wipes, whether you're setting up your own board wipe and want to keep a choice number of creatures around, or whether you're going up against somebody who will use a board wipe against you. You can save a couple creatures that will survive that, which is just such an interesting way to shake up the flow of the game, because that was really... The board wipe is really a trademark of Keyforge, in my opinion. Not a lot of games can integrate such a swing back and forth without feeling, you know, like an unfair game of Mario Kart made up of entirely of blue shells. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can have a board wipe happen to you and then maybe you're behind, but still fight your way back just because of how the game is designed. So to start messing with that in a way that doesn't break the game just makes the choices more interesting and makes us look for the answers to that, I think, is lovely. Uh, there's also Enrage, too, where the creature has to be used to fight the next time they're used. Um, I think that one has seen a bit less play. It's on a few less cards than Ward and Exalt is uh, but has certainly been useful and very annoying when it's been played on me when I want to do something other than fight with a creature. Yeah, this is one that's really surprised me. I looked at Enrage and originally the jury was out on it for me. I, I didn't know whether it would be all that impactful to the game, but I found it to be extremely useful at, let's say you can't kill a creature or maybe you have another priority if you've got a way to enrage something that wants to reap, has a has a strong reap effect, then or maybe you just want to prevent your opponent from reaping, then it can be really, really powerful and really good fun. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's one that shouldn't be ignored, definitely. And Zach, do you have any anomalies yet? Any of the very, very shiny lightning cards? Oh, goodness. I, I do not. I have a few friends with some good ones. Uh, most notably, Ghost Form, a friend of ours here in Atlanta, is uh, making that a very a card to be feared. That is the upgrade that says this creature gains invulnerable. It cannot be destroyed or dealt damage. And then the creature also gains fight slash reap, archive Ghost Form. So if the creature with Ghost Form on it fights or reaps, the, arc, the Ghost Form goes away. Of course, if your creature has a... a uh, static ability one that's just on no matter what or an action ability you can get around that so i have not seen any myself wow. in my own collection but that uh that is the most notable instance of of using an anomaly that i've seen personally so far wow that's uh, <laughs> this is news to me as well because i'm still i'm still learning the set so i i, I avoided spoilers until release day and Whilst I've allowed myself to go free-for-all on most of the houses, and I know most of the card set now, I have not looked at the anomalies, and I've on purpose tried to avoid looking at them so that I can hopefully discover them in the most natural and wild way possible. And this sounds this sounds like a, a really powerful effect, and maybe something, if they're using in the future, could mechanically influence the game in untold ways. 
Oh, certainly, certainly. It's so powerful, I would hope that they only include it on things uh, with a cost, like ghost form, you know, must be archived if the creature is used to fight or reap. So hopefully they will continue to keep it balanced. I had a look earlier. Keyforge seems to have had nearly 100,000 decks registered in just over a week. So this might make it the most successful set release for FFG to date, which I think is amazingly positive news for the game, amazingly positive news for the community. It suggests that we're going to be getting even more in this trajectory of more support for the game to come over the coming months. So... Without further ado, I reckon, should we dive into our house-by-house house looks at Worlds Collide? First up, let's let's dive into Untamed. Zach, what is your take on the new look for your favourite house in Worlds Collide? I am enjoying quite a few of the new mechanics and things they do. They don't appear to be as powerful as they were in Call of the Archons, as they were very powerful in Call of the Archons. They don't have nearly as much amber burst, but they have a lot of fun effects. Uh, like I mentioned, they have a lot of fun effects regarding their creatures and their creatures in the discard pile, which I really enjoy. Flaxia is back again, a favorite of mine I mentioned. They have some very interesting board wipes, uh, Unnatural Selection, where it is an action card where you can keep, you pick three creatures on each battle line to keep on the board. Of course, you can you know, make sure you're keeping your best three creatures and their three worst creatures. And then... Absolutely. It'd be rude not to, really, wouldn't it? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Along with things like uh, Fangtooth Cavern, destroying the least powerful creature at the end of your turn. Every turn, that's an artifact. As well as uh, one of my favorites as far as working from the discard pile is concerned, a card called Low Dawn. Going to try to quote it here. It's an action card, I believe, with an amber pip. And it says, shuffle okay. up to three untamed creatures from your discard pile into your deck if you do gain two amber. And so it rewards you for having untamed creatures in your discard pile, like a few other untamed cards have had. And the the set is really characterized by interesting effects around creatures and creatures reaping, getting extra amber for reaping and all that sort of thing in there. Uh, they're quite fun. They have to have the right the right mix of cards to really be top tier, but um, I think they do have those yeah. ingredients. They they certainly tick that fun button. For me, it feels like there's almost been a very natural evolution for Untamed, and I realise that evolution is probably quite an apt word for <laughs> for the house. Uh, so the first set, as you mentioned, very very rush focused and focused on the power of individual cards and just kind of getting them out as quickly as possible. The second set, they maybe went through a bit of uh, a growth phase, again, a very apt term for them. And it feels very much like the third set. They've struck a balance between these two different things, trying to have some of the interesting effects with Untamed, but also trying to keep some of that amber rush, but maybe in a more, a more measured way. Mm -hmm. Uh, a good example of this for me was I opened a deck and there were a couple of Tantadlins in it and I, I didn't know what was in the set. So I opened the Tantadlins and I thought, oh, it's going to be the same Untamed as Age of Ascension. And whilst I enjoyed the Untamed in Age of Ascension, it wasn't quite as, as much of a rush that you get when playing the rush of Untamed. But then I looked through that set and I thought, okay, so I've got a few really interesting upgrades that I can stick on these Tintadlins that actually make these brilliant ah. fun. You pop them down, they're not a high value target, your opponent ignores them. You pop these upgrades on them and all of a sudden they are super powerful creatures that can do all sorts that really, really do, do some do so makes it make things much much harder for your opponent and if you've got star alliance as well you're likely to have even more upgrades in that in that balance but overall for me it's just what a beautiful art style for untamed it looks amazing and for this reason alone it's one of my two favorite houses in in the new set but you also just really know what you're getting you get the wolves you get the witches and you get a little bit of amber rush Mm -hmm. One of my favorites, both on the Amber Rush and art front, is the card Ghost Hawk. 
that has deploy so it can come down between any two creatures and then when you play it you reap with each of its neighbors one at a time and in this set there are so many good reap effects that this card is is nothing but a positive when you see it in your deck and the art is just so lovely it looks like a phoenix-esque bird um possibly rising from the ashes or rising through flame it's a lot of fun I couldn't agree more. And that kind of new new style is complemented very nicely by some of the familiar things like the imprinted Mamook, which I am always happy to see in a Worlds Collide deck. This is the Mamook, the crab that gives you minus one cost for your, for your keys, which can have quite a strong effect and can come across as a, as a very high value target for, for your opponent. I'm also lucky enough to have a deck with six more wolves in them. And um, I absolutely love the card. The art on it is absolutely gorgeous. And the card seems to just be super fun. Oh, yes. The more wolves are adorable. I think in the line of uh, future FFG plushies, more wolves should probably be moved up a few spots. I know we're already getting a fuzzy Gruen. And so I think more wolves should be close on close on the heels there although that does keep them all in untamed you know, i want to spread that out a bit i completely i completely agree with you on the more wolves thing and hopefully they will double down on the untamed plushies in that sense but mm -hmm. i'm not sure how many people want a ganger chieftain plushie but we'll see if there's a market for that <laughs> maybe a shorty one <laughs> i would i would take a shorty plushie plushie he'd make a great uh, piece for the couch i think <laughs> completely completely agree so let's move on to Shadows. Uh, Shadows, obviously, uh, a house that has been through a lot of infamy, being one of the most well-played, well let's say, houses from Call of the Archons. How do you feel about their evolution and their maybe new face in this, in this set? I really enjoy their new face. I feel like they've become much more balanced. They still have steel present, but at more of a cost than they did in Call of the Archons. Um, more prerequisites for perhaps having a creature destroyed or dealing the right amount of damage before the steel happens or having the steel only happen if certain conditions are met. And they're leaning much more into that pinging damage that they had in the past few sets. But doing that even more, just doing the one, two, or three damage spread around, perhaps rewarding you if you destroy the creatures. So I feel like their core is still there, but they've been dialed back to being balanced. They have uh, a few things this set that help them out and make sure they can still compete. Um, but they're they're now a normal house in this set, and I honestly really like that because that means we're not just looking for shadows on the back of our Archon card in Sealed. We actually need to look through that list and see if we can make use of those creatures that are doing that ping damage. Um, and they, of course, when they're not only stealing, we, there's a little bit more room for fun synergies with things like uh, things like Cauldron Boil in Untamed that doubles the damage already on creatures. So if you're pinging damage from shadows, you can go ahead and load everybody up with a Cauldron Boil. So I think they are more creative now and will take some more skill to play, which I, I think is only a good thing for the game. Some people may not like that they're a touch underpowered from what they were, but I think I think they've been moved to a really good place. I couldn't agree with you more, particularly on the balance side and the creativity needed to play, almost the kind of creativity that those those pesky Svar elves do need to to pull off a real heist night. Mm -hmm. and, and also they're very much rich in flavour. The second set really got that flavour right with the art style and Worlds Collide really feels like a continuation of this with a very, very clear and distinct style. Um, but some of the new cards as well, things like Key Forgery, and this is a card that really plays around with your opponent's ability to forge a key and makes it a gamble. And there's another card, Gambling Den, that does exactly the same i mean there are cards in star alliance that can allow you to essentially rig this effect by looking at your deck but the overall lens of it is if you look at the top card of your deck and you get it right you gain two amber if you uh, bet the top card of your deck is going to be a certain thing and you get it wrong you lose two amber this is an effect for both players and can be so much fun so much so that i i actually lost a game on gambling 
gambling den alone uh, last week and had a great time doing it. And I do appreciate that their power to steal a lot of amber is still there, but the conditions are much more specific. Uh, I have a deck with Manchego, a three-power human thief, who has play if you have five or fewer cards in your deck, steal to amber, and then fight slash reap, you may shuffle Manchego into your deck. So this is a card that rewards you getting to the very end of your deck and then staying there if you can. And if you can play him multiple times, perhaps through a few Shadows effects that will bump him back to your hand, uh, you can really start stealing a whole lot of Amber if you just maintain that five cards in deck, uh, that five cards in deck prerequisite, which I think is lovely that those big steals are still there. You just have to work a bit harder Absolutely. for them. Absolutely. Too much to protect is still in. And mm-hmm. uh, the r- double Ronnie, double hit and run combo is, yes. is mega and is a real thing. Hit and run being the card that says deal two damage to a creature, return a creature to your hand. Ronnie wrist clocks being our old friend that says steal one amber when he's played. If your opponent has seven or more amber, steal two. So effectively, in a best case scenario with that, you can steal four amber in a turn with with a ronnie which it's it's great fun and do a little bit of that ping damage as well one thing on this though zach how do you feel that shadows is going to survive in the competitive meta anyway with so much steel hate being introduced in this set and a lot of four damage board wipes coming in a lot of shadows might struggle to to stand up to that do you think kota shadows is still going to be a force at the top level Hmm. That is a great question. I feel like any Logos or Saurian lists that do get to that top of the competitive level will be running those cards that stop steel in some way. They are present enough. I feel that I feel that there will be at the top levels of competitive competitiveness, uh, Call of the Archons, Shadows decks, maybe even Worlds Collide Shadows decks. However, these decks are going to be have to be a bit more fine tuned than they were when they were competing at the top level before Worlds Collide, because they will need ways to deal with Discombobulator, the Logos upgrade that gives you an amber and says your amber cannot be stolen. Yeah. To deal with Odak the Patrician, yeah. the saurian dinosaur i believe three or four power who captures an amber and while there's amber on odak the patrician your amber can't be stolen so the list isn't long of ways to stop amber from stealing and as long as those decks pack that right tech those right cards that can respond to these situations i think i think they will still be present it's just going to take more skill to pilot them and these decks might look a little bit different than we were used to at the start so they're just going to have to work harder i think and that's a great thing i think they'll still function yeah agreed agreed and great for the game absolutely yes very healthy for the game very healthy so let's move on to brobnar zach is it a yarp or is it a narp (laughs) <laughs> Over here in Athens, Georgia, USA, it is NARP. Oh, as in you love NARP and he's run out of trees? or <laughs> As in, um, as in uh, I do enjoy NARP uh, as far as having fun with him in a deck goes. I tend to put a lot of upgrades on him so that my opponent will attack him so I can reap with his neighbor again. To be honest, I'm not always excited to see him. Because of his negative, he is a bit of a liability. He does. Uh, he has eight power, yeah. one armor, and his text is Narp's neighbors cannot reap. And there are enough abilities that move creatures about in the battle line that he is a liability if he gets shifted around and gets placed placed next to somebody with a lovely reap ability. I am then unable to use it. Um, so overall, Brobnar is not nearly as powerful as it was in Age of Ascension, as far as I have seen so far. However, they do have some good answers and some good cards that when you get the right cards in the right list, they'll still really be able to hold their own because you do need these bigger bodies that will, uh, these bigger creatures that will fight Star Alliance and survive. Star Alliance tending to have smaller bodies without elusive. And, Agreed. And ones Agreed. that can go toe-to-toe with the Saurians. The Saurians, I feel personally, tend to have more powerful abilities, but with the right list, Brabnar yep. can hold its own. Uh, overall, though, they're they're a bit more difficult to use in this set. I, I completely agree with that. And 
And I feel that Ward as well can nullify some of Brobnar's otherwise attacking nuance. It makes it harder for them to do what Brobnar does best in the same way as they would have done it previously. And you're absolutely right, the different cards, maybe we've lost things like Kabingle, Bang, Bang, things that could really come in and have a huge impact almost immediately. But for all this potential concern about Brobnar, I had a great I had a great time playing them and I think everyone everyone I've played them with casually has had a great time playing Brobnar in Worlds Collide because it's fun and for full marks for fun I think that's there's a, a lot to be said for that we might not be seeing it at the topmost competitive level but it's great fun and, and I must say I did a I did a tournament on launch night for Worlds Collide and I had Brobnar in the deck with some concern around Brobnar's power level I thought oh I'm not going to do so well in this event but I ended up going 4-1 with a mediocre Brobnar deck and I had a great time with it I had real fun and I found that it was really good in a sealed meta where there is limited board wipe and the board wipe there is is only maximum of four damage so I found I was able to do things with my Brobnar lineup that I just wouldn't have been able to do that got rid of the right threats at the right times that I wouldn't have been able to do if I'd had maybe a different house lineup Mm -hmm. they've also got some great fun cards oh they the big one Oh my god. Yes. It's so fun. <laughs> what flavor and what a something you have to play around in the game. Absolutely. And we've got a whole host of these new play around cards and uh that, that completely change the face of the game. The big one is very much likely to blow up in your own face uh, if you're if you've played it. I think this is the artifact that when you play 10 creatures, there's a huge board wipe and it destroys all creatures and artifacts. And it's not just you, it's you and your opponent. So it could be be you that gets the worst of it. It could be your opponent that gets the worst of it. And that feels all part of the fun, really. Oh, yes. And um, speaking of blowing up in one's own face, that is really the card to just the the phrase to describe Um, in Brabnar. What I would say without reservation is my favorite card from the new set. Old Boomy. I do not know what this does. Oh, well, uh, let me introduce you to Old Boomy. Old Boomy is a two-power goblin scientist. He is a scientist in Brabnar. Wow. Uh, He does not have elusive, but he has one ability that takes up most of his card. It is Reap. Reveal cards from the top of your deck until you reveal a Brabnar card or choose to stop. Deal two damage to Old Boomy if a Brabnar card was revealed. Archive each card revealed this way. So his power is to reveal cards from the top of your deck until you either choose to not risk it anymore or you hit a Brabnar card. If you hit a Brabnar card, Old Boomy takes two damage. You can mitigate that in a few ways. Um, And you get to archive all of the cards that you revealed. It is such a fun risk-reward system. Old Boomy may blow himself up. He may not if you've been able to protect him a little bit. And it's just such a fun way to push your luck and then archive a bunch of cards, which is just so fun. And the art is this happy-looking, white-haired goblin gentleman with purple skin and some tattered (laughs) armor. And he is tossing a grenade over a rock that he's hiding behind. And it's just so fun. So so fun that's that's so keyforge <laughs> <laughs> yes that's so keyforge <laughs> and i think that's probably one that we bring out a casual night that sounds great fun oh oh yes oh yes he does some work in a deck i have that uh increases key costs for archived cards and i also have a way to give boomy more power so i can use his ability wow. uh, i can risk his ability more than once at least so he is quite fun I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to playing with him. So let's dive into the Grand Star Alliance and I have to pause here to say this is my new favorite house. I now have a favorite house. I didn't have a favorite house beforehand. <laughs> I couldn't choose, but this is my favorite. They have such a clear and distinct identity the way they play. It just feels so right and the art is 
simply stunning as well. Yeah, they are. They they feel like glue, like a friendly, familiar glue. They're not there to stand out. They're there to be support the rest of your deck in really shining, helping it to shine. I I just I absolutely love them. Have you had the same same feeling as me? Oh, yes. Agreed on all counts. They have such a distinct way that they work in a deck that's completely different from any other house before them. They have such a well-defined role and they're very good at it. It's honestly quite difficult to see a Star Alliance list that is bad because all they do is allow you to play the rest of your deck faster they allow you to try to get your other cards out use them better and they have some medium good abilities themselves but what they do is they combine those abilities with the abilities of other houses which is really what their flavor is about you know power through diverse skills diverse people who are all working together toward a common cause and i believe that's truly captured in the way they've been designed completely agree they're rarely going to be those standout performers but yeah, they're not as gaudy as the dinosaurs, but they're going to be what makes a good deck great. Yes, uh, completely agreed. They're so fun. And they've got so many fun effects as well, like cards like Quixelstone that really changes the way the game is played and forces your opponent to really go to their plan B and to, to say, oh God, the whole game plan that I was going to go for, I now can't, I can't even touch it. I've got to play this different game. It is the artifact that says, if a player has more creatures in play than their opponent, they cannot play creatures, which just feels <laughs> so fun. And I think we've already seen a couple of this making making appearances at the top of some competitive uh, sealed tournaments. It really just put the emphasis on player skill and how well players can adapt to a rapidly changing situation. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about all decks and Keyforge being locked in and unique and not being able to switch cards in and out is that you can include a card like this that changes really the basics of the game and how creatures interact with the board and tests how well somebody can respond to a completely new style of Keyforge, which is basically not playing creatures. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I've had super fun doing this i'm i'm not sure if i had an age of ascension deck that tend to be much more creature focused whether i would have so much fun playing against this but it just feels like a brilliant direction for the game to take as does book of liqueur which is another artifact and it asks you to draw a card and it says if this card is star alliance then you end your turn you don't draw cards you don't ready anything. Everything mm-hmm. remains exhausted. But if it's one of your other two houses, you get to play a whole other turnout with that house because you switch your active house to them. It feels so strong and so fun. Brilliant card. And particularly with cards like Navigator Alley and... Mm-hmm. And lay of the land, it really allows you to kind of stack the deck and and make sure that you've got it in the in the in the order you want and get the right response. But it is house cheating to another level. Mm-hmm. It it really is. I was playing against a friend who's new to the game, uh, but he very nearly took me down because every time he used Book of Lequeux. Uh, he drew a new star, non-star alliance card and was able to essentially take a second turn after his first and was very smart to use any house cheating cards he had in star alliance to use his third house. And then that second house got, was what he drew and it was he was taking two turns in a row. It was really something else. It's um, I think it's going to be one that we see in the right decks turning up at the highest level at certain times. How are you finding Logos in the new set, Zach? I am finding that they are doing more of what we know they're good at, and they're still doing it very, very well in a way you want to see for competitive decks. They are letting you draw cards, and they are letting you archive cards. They accomplish being a support house, much like Star Alliance does, but in a really great way where uh, the more cards you have, the more cards you can play, the more amber you're likely to get. 
And archiving cards, of course, putting a card away for its moment later when it is most powerful or stashing it away so you can be drawing up into your hand more cards is really uh, just accelerating what you need to be doing anyways in Keyforge. And they do it even more in this set with things like uh, Tau Tau Vapors, the action card that says play, draw two cards, archive a card, and many others like that. They're, uh, they do more of what they've done in the past, and it's, it's quite fun. It's quite fun. I completely agree. It's much more fun archiving and drawing antics. I love the fact that they've got Daughter in, in the set as well. This is uh, mm. a very much a companion to Mother from Call of the Archons. It is a two-power elusive creature that allows you to draw every turn up to one more card in your hand. We have an, an increase in... Uh, Cards that take your opponent off a key by making keys cost more as well. And we now have a key cheat, Data yes. Forge, uh, which I have a super fun Data Forge deck. Uh, I took it to Chainbound last week. I didn't do so well with it. I won one, I lost two, but it doesn't matter. I had so much fun. And um, when I get when I pull off that Data Forge, I feel like a king. Mm. Yeah, the Data Forge is a lot of fun, and it's fun. It's nice to finally have a key cheat in Logos that triggers off of the things they do well. Completely agree. And there seems to be, uh, for the art, the art design is brilliant as ever, but there seems to be a bit of a new orangey hue in the art as well. I'm really, I'm really liking how they've matured mm. that style there. There's also an added emphasis on steel in Logos, which we haven't really seen in the past, have we? That's true. That's true. That is a little bit new. They have a few things that respond to your amber being stolen or stopping it or uh, just a straight up steel on a Logos card. We have it just sprinkled in there a little bit. That's true. And it would be wrong of us, I think, to leave the dinosaurs to last. So, Zach dinosaurs good or great um absolutely fantastic i would uh almost unreservedly say probably the strongest house in the set in my personal opinion um there are they often have that keyword not the keyword excuse me they have the mechanic exalt where you put an amber on the creature and that is usually a cost for a powerful effect and they have enough ways to to uh, mitigate the difficulty of having an extra amber on your creatures that all of those abilities you get for exalting your creatures really start to shine and you get to hedge your bets there with them and they're they are very powerful especially when you get the right combination of cards and also i have to say as far as flavor goes the art and the fun that we get to have by having roman dinosaurs is is really next level it's just such a joy just to look at this art and see how what these cards do and how their flavor interacts with their mechanics it's really a home run on all fronts very much testament to the creative minds of to, of the designers there uh, incredible flavor and art style and for a brand new house it seems to have such a consistent way of doing things it feels very matured in its mechanics and approach and it all seems to fit in it makes sense oh of course there's roman dinosaurs and of course they want to exalt themselves it just feels very very natural it feels very right um and it's not something i ever knew i needed or wanted until uh, <laughs> <laughs> until it turned up right in front of me which is which is great i completely agree with you though zach i feel there are definitely enough ways to move the amber from your creatures to get that risk reward bet to pay off for you but there may be some disparity in the decks that don't have these options that maybe have the exalt effects but don't have the ways in which you can get the amber off the creatures mm -hmm. in uh, either to the common pool or to your own pool it's nothing probably that feels worse than capturing a certain amount exalting a whole whole load of times and it being the thing that helps your opponent to win oh yes there have been more than a few times a opponent mostly testing <laughs> out the saurians has loaded up yeah. their own saurians with this exalted amber and i have played a board wipe or used a large brabnar board to fight and then all of that amber has become mine so yes without those ways to mitigate that uh they are a high risk high reward house certainly 
Yeah, and I mean, I like to make a prediction in this space. And as the guys at Team Covenant always say, the predictions that that you get to mention in, in two or three years' time and the predictions that are right, and if this appears to be hopelessly wrong, then I will just never mention it again. But I think that those that are going to play the most successful decks in, in Keyforge over the next six months um, at the top level, maybe in the Vault Warrior segment as it, as it appears towards the end of this cycle or uh, in some of the Vault Tours we've got coming up are going to be the ones that have learned to play around, offer the answers to and really punish the dinosaurs. Yes, I agree. Are there any standout cards for you in, in this exciting new house? There are. There are a few that, aside from using Exalt, do things we haven't seen before, which are fascinating, like Auto Legionary, the artifact that has action. Put Auto Legionary on a flank of your battle line. While in the battle line, it is considered a creature with five power and belongs to all houses, which is just fascinating that they would design an artifact that then pretends to be a creature. Uh, I'm sure it will generate all sorts of rules questions and will not cease to fill up the Keyforge rules uh, inbox, uh, but it is, is just so fun, such a fun space to explore as far as design goes. Well, we've got to keep the Keyforge rules channel going somehow, and uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's only fair for Brad to, to keep them busy. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, there are quite a few cards in Saurian that have such powerful effects you read the card and you either get confused by it because you're not sure what it's trying to accomplish and then you realize it's a part of a combo or uh, just the card in itself is is fantastically powerful. There are a few cards that play with... Um, reap and play and fight effects, swapping them out. So if you have a fight effect, it becomes a fight reap effect, or a play effect becomes a reap effect on your other friendly creatures. So like Star Alliance, they also will sometimes enable other houses to do uh, uh, very interesting, very powerful things that we might have some truly hilarious edge cases in. The options abound with this, and it comes back to what we started saying when we when we were talking about Worlds Collide to begin with, that actually this is a set that we're going to still be discovering it in April, and we're still going to be opening new decks and going, whoa, I've never looked at that card in that way before. Oh, yes, com completely agreed, completely agreed, especially as they release any new mechanics or styles of card that will perhaps interact very differently with the, the dinosaurs, either the Worlds Collide uh, dinosaurs, the Saurians, or the ones we see in the future. Okay, so with Shadows potentially nullified to a certain extent, this might prove to be the answer to the dinosaur threat. What are your thoughts on this in the new set? Do they present to you the box of tricks that you want? They do. They do. Uh, their box of tricks uh, seems to, as I stick my hand into it, just consume my hand and then it's nowhere to be found because they have an awful lot of purge this set, which... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, a little gateway in my little Pandora's box here. Um, but they have really used the purge mechanic where when, a, when you purge a card, it is completely removed from play instead of going to the discard pile. And taking that to a new level, they have so many cards that either purge your cards or your opponent's cards. And I have acquaintances online who have these decks that they will end up purging anywhere from 6 to 12 of their own cards, which is a really interesting decision to give a player. It says, hey, you can purge some of your cards. What cards will you purge so that your deck is faster, so that you see the cards you want to see faster? Because that's going to change depending on your matchup. You know, you have this ability to just throw cards out of your deck. Um, and depending on the matchup, you may want to keep different ones at different times. I believe that is such an interesting question to ask a player with these new purge mechanics. Absolutely. And increases that importance once more on having experience with your deck, actually playing with it a lot and uh, rewarding skilled players. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, certainly. Infernus is one card I'm keen to to uh, to talk about a little bit here because despite the art being quite something we'll put it that way uh, it's <laughs> it really is an amazing card and it literally eats racing decks and gobbles up fertility chant 
<laughs> this is the card that says purge two cards from I think it's either discard pile but you have to pick mm-hmm. one or the other and um, if there are amber pips on them your opponent loses that amount of amber but it's it's pretty flexible if they don't have a racing deck and they've got uh, let's say a Martian Generosity key abduction, you can go for it and just purge those two, you know, nice and casual. If they've got a racing deck, you can eat up a couple of dust pixies and do them quite a lot of damage or, or really just negating the strength of that or some of the strength of that. Is this a card that we're going to be seeing in your deck, Zach? Oh, I have one or two, but I think once I spend a little more time on the secondary market, yes, you will be seeing me have a few, uh, at least one or two <laughs> Infernus decks. Because yeah. there are certainly a few ways to play with that play effect. There is a, a Star Alliance creature that makes play effects happen twice. There's the aforementioned Saurians who turn play effects into reap effects and that sort of thing. There are ways to bounce this creature back to your hand. So um, all ways to repeatedly use that very good playability. Um, and you're right, this is a card that feels like it was printed. It can counter many things because you get to choose what to purge, but it will especially punish those Call of the Archons racing decks, which there was sometimes not an answer to. So this is certainly a very powerful card. Completely agreed. And... I think we are running a bit long on this episode at the moment, but yeah, absolutely. But it's because we're so excited. There's so much to talk about in this new set and we have weeks and months to talk about this on the podcast. We are going to dive into our deck discovery episode now, and this is going to be coming next week. This is where we ask our guests to share a surprising, strange or otherwise spectacular deck from their collection with all of us uh, on the podcast and we can discover it as they talk about it so all of that next week but for this week we've been discovering worlds collide and it's been amazing go out there play we hope you have a great time Uh, i've been call of discovery you can find us on facebook you can find us on the twitters you can find us now on instagram as well and you can email us questions queries at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com and thank you very 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 much to our guest zach this week oh happy to happy to be here thank you so much for having me on ed but most of all if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Thank you.